you thought you have known yourself, and all you've really known is your desires, your familiar habits, the things you want to go after, the way you want to impress yourself and other people. But this is not knowing yourself. This is knowing your ideas about yourself, all your concepts, all these little dream states that you have about yourself. This isn't knowing you. Knowing you would consist of seeing that all these fragmented parts, Dorothy, and the rest of you are not you at all simply ideas that have come up that make you, Betty, your imperial majesty, your royal monarch, make you that. And then when events don't bend, people deny you what you want, or they're not friendly to you. What right have you to treat me that way, you say to yourself? Don't you know who I am? And then you add all the phony reasons that other sick people give. For example, don't you know you should be kind to people? Don't you dare be kind to an image of a person. That image will turn around with a sword. And you're the one who invited that sword by taking the image as being real, by taking the person as being solid. In connection with that, Let's see how far you can go in understanding what I'm going to say next. It's pretty strong stuff. Let's see if you can take it. There is no need, no necessity, for you to be anyone at all in your own eyes or the eyes of anyone else. There's no need for you to be thought of as kindly, as successful. There's no need for you to be thought of as defeated is miserable. Can't you look inside yourself and see the alternation of all these fragmented parts? Can't you see how you switch from one to another? And you're always quite sure that the one that state, the condition you're in right now, is the only condition. You're going to accomplish a certain thing, and you're sure you're going to accomplish it. Some little event comes out, comes to you from out the world there, outer world, and you're thwarted, and then you forget that you said I was going to conquer that position. But internally, you're raging. Why don't you try letting the world defeat you consciously? Someone turns you down? I see. That's what happened. Someone turned me down. I didn't get what I wanted. I see. I understand. I didn't get what I wanted. Just a nice, casual, pleasant even reaction to it. When you're in this state, you can walk through the whole world through a thousand events a day, meeting all kind of people. And the one word that would accurately describe you without it becoming identification would be the word casual. You don't know what it means to be casual, do you? You do know what it means to be tense, to be demanding, to look fearfully around. Fearfully ar around, I see it in this room, hoping that someone is going to approve of you, 
going to even notice you, even say good evening to you. Why don't you deliberately deny yourself what you call the pleasure of someone saying good evening to you sometime, or good morning, or whatever? Deny yourself that pleasure and watch how troubled you really are, because you didn't get the false reward you've been seeking and demanding all your life. But seeing the, the very small disturbance that you had when the, you deliberately denied yourself that reward, that is right self-study. Now you're getting down to seeing the images that have been masquerading as you. And that's the end of them, to see them very clearly. Uh, all right, go ahead, Harvey. I'm just going to ask if what you're talking about, the imperial majesty and this heavy spirit and everything you just said, wouldn't that be exactly the person who gets his feelings hurt easily? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You don't treat me the way I deserve to be treated. Now, where does an individual get his ideas of how he deserves to be treated? I'll tell you where he gets them. He gets them from a sack, a junk sack, of labels about himself in which he has labeled himself as, we could go on all night, as innocent, as pleasant, as deserving, as intelligent, anything complimentary, flattering to himself. And he says to himself, since I am this kind of a person, he's not, he's imagining it. He wants to believe in his own lie. Since I am this kind of a person, a good citizen even, a good man, a pleasant woman, a good mother, on and on and on. Now, since I am this kind of a person, how come you don't treat me with the respect that I so richly deserve? See where the lie starts. It starts with you pretending to be someone that you're not at all. All right, you have the idea that you're nice, hmm? you're pleasant, you're generous, and so on. Someone doesn't treat you that way, you get pretty unnice about it, don't you? But when that happens, you then go into another lie and say it's the other person's fault. Do you wonder that the world is mad when everyone is running around saying you you, everyone else, other four billion people on Earth, you should treat me nicely. You should be generous toward me. You should give me anything I want. Anything I want, you should give to me. But of course, I don't owe you anything. I am the great receiver. It's unthinkable that I have to give you anything. But such a person, such, such a man, such a woman like that can't see what he's doing against himself. And he can't see why his pain is so intense. It may take you years to understand the very fundamental point. You're not living your own life at all. If you were living your own life, it would be a free, spontaneous life. You're leading the life of each imposter who jumps up into your mind and says, I am you. And we'll talk about that now with an illustrative story. And I want you to know that behind this story is a truth, a fact, an insight 10,000 miles up in the sky 
much deeper than you may grasp at the telling of the illustration. And there's a certain revelation behind it that perhaps someday when you see it, all the images that we talked about, all the self-pictures will fall away because you see there's no need for them at all. No need for them. We thought we had to pretend. We thought we had to act. We thought we had to impress people. How burdensome to go around that way. It's a nice thing to know that sanity is possible. And sanity is exactly the same thing as happiness. It's the same thing of being in command of your own life, in command of yourself, command of your own thoughts. Because something other than these broken parts are in charge. Something that you don't understand yet because you still want to be you. Right. There's once a writer, a journalist, who worked at a newspaper office. And he was a very successful, very competent writer. And he was sent out on various assignments around the country, wrote political news, very versatile. Wrote stories about politics and candidates and uh, air control, air pollution, the whole business of social life. And he even traveled a bit, went around to foreign countries, sent back news stories on politics and on industrialization of agricultural countries, whole story of foreign activities. Very good writer. But he wasn't quite happy with the subjects that he wrote about. He was assigned certain things and occasionally wrote a fiction book on his own. But all these assignments weren't quite what he really wanted to write about. His interests were somewhere else, but he wasn't sure where the, what the other interest was. So he continued with his work and kept looking around for a topic that was a little closer to home than politics or industrial machinery shipped to Korea or whatever. So in his slight dissatisfaction with what he was writing about, he decided to go one night after his day's work was over down the local library and just wander around to see if by going up and down the different shelves of books, the idea he was seeking but didn't know he was seeking would come up before him and he would say, ah, that's what I want to write about. That's what I'm interested in, really interested in. So he went down the library and wandered around, came to all the familiar sections, the Western stories and the mysteries, and wandered over to the books on ships and airplanes and mechanics and biography and wars. Didn't find what he wanted. Finally, went down one aisle and picked out a certain book whose title he couldn't see very well. It was a pretty old book. And he picked it up and it was topic was propaganda. And his mind lit up at just at the topic that he saw was in the title of propaganda throughout the ages. So I picked it up, went down to a table, sat down, and went through it. It was a fascinating book. Told all about how, from the earliest days, politics, governments, religions, business, everyone 
organizations and individuals used propaganda to gain what they wanted, to gain their ends. And the more he read, the more interest he got in the subject, because he realized that this is what he wanted to know more about, human nature. So he took the book home, checked it out, went over it, and, uh, oh, this is what I want to uh, write about. He was fascinated by the subject of human nature as it used other people falsely in propaganda. Ah, fascinating subject. So he studied it, he got other books out, and he um, observed the scene right in front of him, the political stories that he wrote, the religious uh, conventions that he covered. And it became very clear to him that the whole world, not just the particular little local organizations that he ran into, but the whole world, governments, for example, was engaged in propaganda. And he saw the details of it. For example, how a political candidate would write his own, own um, run his own poll and slant everything in favor of himself, and make people think that uh, he was winning. He saw the whole horror of it, of how um, everybody would say, this is the candidate to vote for because he has past experience. The whole thing was all wrong. He decided to write his own book about propaganda, which he did. Great success. He got all his facts together, put it out, bestseller. And he called it something like, let's say, the mind stealers. That's what it was. People were stealing other people's minds. Great volumes of books came off, made a lot of money, came famous, invited around to autograph parties. Promoted down at the uh, newspaper office. Finally, the top of it, top of everything, because he'd written this very successful book on propaganda. Wealthy, everything he wanted. Except for one thing. He was still a very unhappy man. And somehow he knew it. He understood that all his investigating into human nature, into himself a little bit even, all that had not given him anything but a lot of fame and a lot of money and a lot of social popularity. But he sensed, still sensed that his own life was still pretty shaky inwardly. And he had big fights with his girlfriend and he noticed that he began to drink a little more than he used to. Well, his exterior life was doing very nicely. His interior life was falling apart. This went on for a long, long time because his success, outer success continued. But the inner deterioration, which he didn't understand, also continued. And I wonder if you can begin to bring what I'm saying into your own life at this point, because it's very important that you connect what I'm saying with you just as you're seated here. And maybe you can make a parallel with your own life. So here he is, successful outwardly, and wondering what life is all about. And his inner life continued to go downward, continued to get more unhappy, until he said to himself, I've got to do something about this. There's no, no point being in this division anymore. Even if I had any delusions that uh, exterior success would do something for me inwardly, 
those two are gone. Time came when he said, I'm going to study this business of propaganda. Listen to this, please, and listen carefully. I'm going to study the topic of propaganda as, listen, as it relates to me. Nothing is easier than writing a book about how a government deceives people or how a business organization makes great sales through fraudulent advertising. Nothing is easier than writing about someone else's propaganda, evil propaganda to serve your own ends. Anyone could do that, and I did it, and I made a fortune. But that didn't make me any happier, so I'm going to investigate the topic of propaganda, which I know so well outwardly, just to see what is going on inside of me. And the most astounding revelation came to him. He understood why he began to get shaky after his success. He began to understand why he felt miserable and was a little bit conscious of it. He began to understand himself much better. And here's, here's the revelation. And you had better hasten the day when this revelation comes to you. He saw that he feared the propaganda, the evil news of the world itself. He saw that he feared what he wrote about. Now go slow enough to catch this. We don't want to miss this point. You know, they say that psychiatrists get depressed because they identify all day long with their depressed patients comes on to them. They can't stand aside. It comes to them. They're on that level, for example. And this is what happened to our journalist author. He saw, he understood that the, look, here's a government, a powerful government oppressing people with their printed and broadcast lies directed against me. And there is paranoia and practically every human being who begins to see propaganda and say, hey, they're directing all the enmity, all, that, all those blasts against me. And if you're not awake, which you are not, you will begin to get fearful of them. See, this is what I'm getting at. And we're going much deeper than that. He understood that what he had seen, listen, that what he had seen so clearly about the evil of the world, he began to sense that he was afraid of that evil. That was one revelation. Oh, wait till you hear the next one. He saw that he was afraid of the propaganda of the world. We're going to get you, the world says. Of course it says it, and it does get you, because you don't know any better. We're after your money. We're after your happiness. We're after everything. We're after your vote. He saw what the world had done to him because he was just an ordinary human being like everyone else and didn't have anything more than an ordinary human being. But here's what he saw finally after many years, not overnight. He saw that 
the propaganda that he feared was a much deeper thing than he imagined. It wasn't just social propaganda. It didn't come from, listen to this, please. It didn't come from what that vague source called the government. It didn't come from that vague source called business or labor unions or society in general. The propaganda, the propaganda came from human beings. It came from sick human beings. And he understood that he feared them, and he saw that the propaganda that he feared was not just social. Listen, here's the key word. It was anti-spiritual propaganda. That is, below the surface of what he saw, this they see oppressive words and oppressive acts by government. Below that was something, and I can't use the word spiritual because it isn't spiritual, but let's call it psychic. Let's call it mental. Let's call it a dark force. He saw that all that he feared was something not just coming from a certain capsule of a government or from a business source. It came from a very, very dark place. And that dark place was in him because fear is part of the propaganda itself. Oh, look what we've run into. Fear of what other people can do to you. If you fear what other people can do to you, it's because you still want to do it to them. If you could see the propaganda, if you could understand what the world is like, if you could see it clearly without fear, you would not be a part of it. But if you're still afraid, you are a part of it. And that is what you have to look at. And that's what our man in the story had to look at. But now we're talking to you. What are you afraid of then? You don't know that propaganda isn't just something that's put out in the newspapers by an organized group. You don't know the, the cunning of it, the subtlety of it. You don't know that you were propagandized as you came into this room by other people in this room, by the way they looked at you or the way they didn't look at you, by the little incidents, by little things in which Sleeping human beings, which you are, and don't even understand what that means, in which sleeping human beings automatically must pass on their propaganda because this is all they can do, and you fall for it. You fall for it because you don't understand what that reporter, what that author began to see very deeply, which is that if you're afraid of anything, any propaganda out there, you had better look at your fear instead of attacking or trying to reform the propagandist out there. Anybody can do that. Look, anybody. It doesn't take any intelligence to be anti-anything else. It doesn't take any brains to form an organization or to join one, a pressure group, and all organizations to one degree or other are pressure groups. It doesn't take any intelligence any goodness, any decency to join a group which is against something else. That's easy. Now you can block out the fact that you're afraid of that other group. 
and also you want all the power and the glory and all the foolish temporal rewards that come from joining a group, even if that group is just one other person in your own home. The rare man, the rare woman, will take a look at what he's afraid of. And then he will look back at himself and he'll say in a very simple, clear language, well, isn't that curious? The fear I have of that oppressive person is in me. Now, wait a minute, real slow. I fear that other group, that other person, those propagandists, those pressure groups. I fear events, I fear experiences. Wait a minute. I never ever saw so clearly before as I do right now that the fear is here. So how on earth is any action I take toward battling them going to change my fear? Because it'll just switch to something else. Now, don't you dare, any of you watching this film or seated in this room, don't you dare go into a cliché way down deep inside yourself somewhere and say, I already understand that. If you already understood that, you wouldn't be seated here tonight. You are still projecting. You are still loving to have enemies instead of looking back and to see why you needlessly and foolishly and fearfully create enemies inside yourself by retaining your fear. Let me tell you something. You don't have an enemy in the world. There's no one who can frighten you. There's no one who can deceive you. There's no one who can put propaganda out that you fall for. Then how come you fall for it? How come you are terrorized? <clears throat> you won't go as far as that reporter did and looking inside and seeing that you being a fearful person means that you are a part of the propaganda that you condemn and say is wrong. You are part of it. Do you understand in any way at all, even to a little bit of a degree, some of you may be shocked at this, and maybe it's about time you are, do you understand that fear is violence? Is that clear to you? that a fearful person is a violent person. By that standard now, how violent are you? And that violence is the propaganda that you take out into that world and don't even know what you're doing to other people because you've first done it to yourself. You want to believe in pressure.